this week, 2023 Unwrapped. But first, I'm Quinn Emmett, and this is important, not important, science for people who give a shit. Hit subscribe right now to get this newsletter and my conversations with the world's smartest people every single week. You can find the email version and links to everything at importantnotimportant.com or in your show notes. Hit subscribe to get next week's essay straight to your feed. And now here's 2023 reviewed. Look, when you're a parent, polycrisis is the job. Okay, so I'm going to pause very early here to caveat, as always, that my kids are wildly privileged to be, well, healthy in every sense of the word. They have clean air, clean water, real food, health insurance, shelter, a good public school education, and they do not live in one of the world's many war zones. So this is all a relative experience sort of thing. Anyways, yes, polycrisis should be your baseline expectation as a new parent and as a continuing parent, especially if you end up having more than one kid. In fact, setting expectations is really the key to parenting for behavior, bedtime, mealtime, nap time, exhaustion levels for you and the kids, your sex life, and, and more. For your kids, who for a period of time do not know they have hands, obviously, but mostly also for yourself and your partner if you've got one. At one point, my wife and I had three kids under three. It was glorious, exhausting, stressful, beautiful, unbridled chaos. Now we have three kids under 11, which is just different chaos. And if, considering the circumstances that each additional child grows your externalities exponentially, you expect anything other than chaos, you're going to be hugely disappointed here every single day. Not to say being a parent is bad or sad or anything, again, wildly privileged, though it can be any of those things at any time. It's usually everything I could have ever wanted. Again, your mileage may vary. But my life and work often run in parallel. I'm the father of three kids, and also my day job is thinking about and writing about the unpaid costs of systemic externalities and what the hell we can do to reduce those, all of the things they were exposed to. I help countries, companies, cities, families, and people ask, what are we exposed to? How can I reduce that exposure? How can I be prepared for the inevitable and the unexpected? What can I do to make this better for everyone now and in the future? What can I do? And these are also great questions to ask when your children are in diapers, potty training, have a cough, are throwing up, might throw up, have a fever, are going to school for the very first time, riding a bike, allergic to some food or nut, losing their first teeth, nervous about losing their first teeth or their fourth teeth, disinvited to a birthday party, refusing to brush their remaining or new teeth, Furious that you did not cut their apple in one way and not the other, etc., uh, etc. Et but as a parent, it's also important to understand that your risk changes over time. Risks when they're three are very different from when they're mm, 11. But the rituals and routines you implement when they're young can either pay off later or come back to bite you in the ass, or both. And the point I'm trying to make is 2023 was really no different. Seeds of change planted long ago came to fruition, while other unexpected radical change began to quickly and aggressively rewrite our understanding of geopolitics, biology, creativity, and the workplace. 
Hey everyone, it's Quinn, your host and the founder of Important Not Important. I'd like to take a quick minute to tell you about the INI or any, whatever we're calling it these days, membership and community. It's a gathering place really for our most dedicated shit givers, a place to connect and learn from one another and to have access to me outside of the newsletter and this podcast. We started it last year, and it's grown to hundreds of shitgivers from all kinds, from around the globe. I'm talking about teachers and investors, students, electricians, journalists, artists, scientists, and policymakers, and, and more. Members get exclusive access to our daily news homepage, which is very cool, and to much more top-of-mind weekly articles, research and tools that you can use and to stay ahead of the game, member-sourced action steps, twice-monthly book and culture recommendations that have nothing to do with the end of the world, virtual events, and of course, the membership Slack channel. Look, so many people come to us asking, what can I do? And we think we do a pretty good job of answering that question and providing context for the answer. But the best answers and the best perspective really come from the community, a wide-ranging community, and we would love for you to be a part of it, to feel supported yourself, and to contribute to discussions and actions alike. And of course, by becoming a member, you're directly supporting our work here and ensuring that we get to keep doing it. So if you'd like to learn more, head to importantnotimportant.com. And if you're already a reader, you can just hit the upgrade button at the top. If you're not, Go ahead and subscribe for free, and you'll see the option to become a member at whatever level works best for you. And as always, you can always find the link to become a member right in your show notes. So thanks for listening, and as always, thanks for giving a shit. Back to the show. Here's just some quick hits. It was the hottest year on record, and it's not even close. War is suddenly everywhere, on the cusp of monumental elections around the world. Taiwan just had theirs. Housing is still a fundamental building block of inequality over a decade after the real estate crash. And yet, Yimbyism, I guess we want to call it that, yes, in my backyard, ism grows. And inequality might finally be on the decline just a little bit, though it's still among the highest rates ever. Artificial intelligence context windows grow, as do chip orders. AI has taken jobs, including Sam Altman's, but not the place of cars. And it's not actually making folks a ton of money yet, unless you're also Sam Altman. Malaria vaccines work, but there's no TB vaccine yet. CRISPR has started to work for an ungodly price. Hunger grows. Migration grows. Renewable energy grows as do new emissions. Journalism has never been more impactful, nor reduced to a thread. Now, on their own, each of these could be a co-benefit or a threat multiplier, a system unlock, or a failure point in this grand polycrisis. So in 2023, how did we adjust to these? How do we continue to build through them for a better future, a safer, more resilient future? And here's your last kid metaphor, I, I think. My friend Drew was the first among our group to have kids. Now, he may or may not remember this because he's got three kids, but as his first kid entered the toddler years, I asked him, you know, how it was going. He gazed about a thousand million miles into the 
distance and then said, you know, when you get a puppy and they're a really annoying puppy for about two years, but if you train them every day, then they're just a dog for another 12 years. It's great. With kid, just when you think you've nailed it, every six months, everything changes forever, over and over again, and then you die. Oh, your kid's finally out of a crib? Good luck. They took their first steps? Best wishes. Done with bottles, finally, or elementary school, or middle school? Congratulations. I hope you're stocked up on a very specific brand of plain pasta, or sheets. You know, iterate and you die. And the same applies to our world. Transitioning to clean energy? Good luck with all of that mining. Barely survived a pandemic? You've beefed up all your healthcare infrastructure, right? Mandated electric vehicles? Truly fantastic. You've got your charging infrastructure sorted, right? So today I'm less interested in rehashing everything that happened this year than how prepared we were and how we responded. Because those lessons will, as always, be fertile learning ground for what comes next. And, and that's part of my 2024 preview as well. It's less about here's what I think is going to happen and more here's what's set in motion uh, so far. So I first contextualized how I think about how to think in my 2023 preview to the preview. And, and the TLDR was the answer to what can I do is all you can do is all you can do. But first, I usually challenge people to answer variations on my single favorite question. What can you do? Like, what can you do? Or what can you do, specifically? Or what can you do? Now, if all of that feels insane, you're welcome. Welcome here. Uh, in my actual preview, though, I wrote, two ideas are important to hold on to as we consider the implications of a polycrisis, and as we barrel into 2023. Again, I wrote this at the end of 2022. Number one, the sum is greater than the parts. And two, this applies in both the negative and the positive. Now, thinkers like Steven Pinker are happy to tell you that humanity is on the whole better off than at any time since we started walking upright, and he is not wrong. Shit is incredible. But only at great cost to our air, our water, our land, and biodiversity. And while the baseline has definitely improved, the benefits haven't been anywhere near equally distributed. And to paraphrase the great Bill Riley, I'm kidding, we did 2023 live, more live than ever before, from satellites that detect methane leaks to everyone, online, everywhere, all of the time. Shakespeare's, quote, all the world's a stage is an actual thing now. So how did we do? How did we respond? And how did we set ourselves up for 2024? Let's talk about climate change. 2023 was the hottest year on record for a few reasons we're still arguing about, but mostly for the same reasons we're here talking about any of this shit at all. Because of historical emissions. Because of continued new emissions. Because of extremely potent methane leaks because the ocean has absorbed just about all of the heat it can for us, because of continued deforestation, however much that's reduced, because of reductions in aerosols, which is a very annoying problem, and because this year in particular, probably because of a strong El Nino. Here's the bad news. Climate change appears to be speeding up, despite still staying within climate model predictions. 
good news, we are doing so much to fight back. We have built massive amounts of new clean energy, and especially in 2023, 33 goddamn gigawatts. But we haven't actually reduced our fossil fuel usage, much less the subsidies that provide for it at all. So we have to do that, and our strategy is pretty specific. Per our friends at Heatmap, according to the IRA's market decarbonization logic, the best and most politically plausible way to drive fossil fuels out of American energy markets is to displace them with cheaper and more abundant clean energy. Again, we can't just build new clean energy, we have to displace what's there. So what's the problem here? Well, again, the existing monumental subsidies, but also energy demand is growing and will keep growing, like for data centers, which power this podcast or YouTube or whatever, which, funny story, have to remain pretty damn cool and use tons of water. Anyways, it's a system. So how have we made our measurable progress so far? From HeatMap, again, through preservationist and environmental justice approaches can still lead to different priorities, the new environmental movement is at its most unified when it opposes fossil fuel production. The movement's history of civil disobedience and legal combat have taught it to keep fossil fuels in its crosshairs, not only because of the social and environmental harm fossil fuel projects cause, but also because fights against fossil fuels mobilize the public, clarify the stakes, and yield tangible improvements for local communities and environments. So, yeah, planning for a phase-out or drawdown or getting to real zero, as I call it, uh, was what COP28 was supposedly about, and the end result was so-so. So yeah, the methane agreement is great, and $650 million and counting towards loss and damage funding is a big uh, step in isolation. And the final text mentioned transitioning away from fossil fuels for the first time, but unabated is a thing. Uh, The agreement, of course, is not binding. And amid other reasons, that's why the big international agreements haven't gotten it done so far. Again, from my 2023 preview. At best, international climate policy has been a story of snatching marginal but needed victories from the jaws of defeat, because of, and despite the best efforts, of so many. Again, shit's complicated. Almost a year after I wrote that, I think the premise still holds up. Will we look back at the 2023 version of COP, hosted by fossil fuel titans, magnitudes bigger than previous conferences, packed with fossil fuel lobbyists and PR firms, and say it was different? Well, a large part seemingly remained on John Kerry's shoulders until recently when it sounded like uh, he might ditch his post. From the great Bill McKibben, uh, again for heat map, Kerry's job isn't done. He needs to return home and convince the White House to pause the granting of new export licenses for the ongoing LNG build-out, a project so enormous that by itself it could produce more greenhouse gas emissions than all of Europe. If the White House agrees, and Dubai saw the release of a letter from 230 environmental organizations urging such a pause, then we will know there was something real in all of this endless talk. So quick update, not in the written version, but I'll update it. The White House announced penalties for the first time for methane leaks, but also it sounds like John Kerry is leaving the post. So the point is, it's our time again and forever. Compound action, as I call it, over time is how we have gotten hard things done in the past, 
and it's how we'll make progress in the future, in 2024, even as direct and indirect adaptation measures like failing insurance markets grow apace. We'd have probably built even more renewable energy this year, but interest rates have absolutely crushed new projects, especially offshore wind. Related offshore wind disinformation campaigns funded by the far right have been obnoxiously successful. Just this week, Democratic Congress people introduced a transmission bill that will certainly die a fiery death if it comes up in this Congress, but which can be a stepping stone if and when they swing the House back, hold on to the Senate, and re-elect old man Joe Biden. Good luck. The transition from gas is going so-so. Again, we're trying to build a shit ton here, and in Europe, Putin's wars probably pulled the transition forward a decade or more. The U.S. has simultaneously banned new gas in very precious few blue cities, of course that's being argued against in court, while actively, yes, considering an enormous LNG facility on the Gulf Coast. So if 2023 had a climate theme, it was that we just keep doing the things we know we shouldn't be doing, despite knowing everything we need to know. We know how dangerous gas stoves are now, and how much they lied to us about it, but most people still love theirs because they don't know that stuff yet. We know how dangerous air pollution is, but states keep suing to keep it. We elected a president who committed to an all-of-government approach to slowing climate change, and yet over the past few years, the U.S. has produced more oil than anyone. Anyone. So what can you do? Well, to start, at the very smallest, induction is red as hell, and installing it is much cheaper and easier than, say, solar, which you should still do if you can, or yell at your city council about. Uh, the portable induction stoves make great holiday gifts. Uh, well, I guess it's too late for that. But anytime gifts, you're welcome. Uh, tell everyone about it. Be the influencer you want to see in the world. It's science. Again, that's the tiniest little thing. And 2023 might have gone differently for stuff like stoves if the IRA money wasn't taking forever to roll out. But again, the interest rates, which are semi-understandable protectionism around minerals, materials and manufacturing and permitting delays haven't helped the bigger projects. So you can't rely on a solar plant if you can't hook it up to anything, but again, with pressure from us, that might change. And good news, the IRA money has finally begun to roll out, and it's mostly gone to red states and low-income areas, which is great. Why? That's a great question. Well, one, it's great for it to go to low-income areas. Two, this is a long game. If the money continues to fund new factories and facilities, and most importantly, clean energy jobs throughout these traditionally red states, or increasingly red states, it will become relatively more difficult for those states' elected officials to vote against the policies that support them, that created those jobs, that lowered their bills. I mean, they probably will anyways, because what the fuck do they care? But I'm just saying, now they're actively biting the hand that feeds their constituents. Okay, what else happened? Thanks to a U.S. House of Representatives that is somewhat less than functional, uh, the Farm Bill hasn't actually happened yet. The EPA lost the ability to protect quite a lot of our wetlands, so they pivoted to a plan that removes all of America's lead pipes, which is a no-brainer, uh, technically and metaphorically, massively undertaking, uh, with significant co-benefits. The past few years have seen broad pushes to remake transportation to be more electric. In 2023, four-wheel electric vehicles are selling like hotcakes, even if U.S. car dealers 
really, really do not want them to. In Europe, Chinese car brands overtook legacy automakers, and two-wheelers are all over Asia, even in places where car ownership has never been a thing. The Biden administration threw billions of trains this year, which is going to be a long build, but it is the largest investment in decades, following up strategic purchases of tracks that should enable more routes and more trains at, again relatively, faster speeds, all of which hopefully, eventually, reduce highway traffic, emissions, and pollution. Which is good, because as much as the first federally funded EV chargers are coming online, and as much as Tesla's charging standard overwhelmingly be became the standard, charging in America truly is a shit show. One problem is data behind charger breakdowns and maintenance, something the administration is aware of and actually trying to unlock, because you can't really fix what you can't measure, and you can't really measure and compare stuff when it isn't standardized and they aren't talking to each other, or at least the same language. Speaking of data, let's dig into AI and all of that stuff. In my preview, I said, 2023 will continue to be a story of who else has your data besides you. This is not a big leap, listener, obviously. Everyone has your data, and they leak it and or sell it all of the time. Truly, truly. Uh, phones, speakers, cars, TVs, toys, and more. Sure, yeah, uh, Meta started finally encrypting messages on Facebook and Messenger, but overall, in 2023, data ethics remains pretty, pretty not great. Now, is that because of all the big tech companies consistently choosing profits over ethics? Is it because the New York Times made a People Behind the Dawn of Artificial Intelligence article and literally chose only men? You make the call. I don't think we need to completely rehash what happened with, for example, OpenAI, mostly because there are still questions we do not know the answer to. Did the chaos give Anthropic and Perplexity and Google uh, room to keep up? Uh, I predicted they would long before it went down. I said, I have no doubt the very intelligent and ambitious folks at Google who pioneered useful search only to cannibalize their best product with ads and, usually, ads for their own doorbells, will catch up to this deluge of new OpenAI-powered tools. But, wow, they've got a fight ahead of them. But the jury's out. Still. I mean, it's both only been a year, but holy shit, what a year. The Silicon Valley uh, E-slash-ACC crew trumpeted technological progress at all costs, or I guess as is usual, uh, refusing to acknowledge any costs, to which I said, empirical data will tell you we have constructed a world where technology keeps changing the world, building fortunes overnight, and leaving millions behind. Where markets drive innovation, but entirely free ones have hurt many, many people. Where real-world economic inequalities persist, where we have raped our ecosystems for magical two-day shipping, where we still fight wars and hunger and malaria and TB and racism and monopolies as we build electric planes and genomic sequencing and data centers as the brains behind all of it, knocking out breathless weekly headlines like, our longevity stocks, the next big thing. On the other hand, I do have so much hope. Active hope. I believe we are fighting what I called, what Tolkien called, the long defeat. I am wholly committed to rewriting the world's power systems, literally and figuratively, to benefit the most people, and especially the purposefully disadvantaged and marginalized. So what do we do about it all this year? 
And what do we do to prepare again for 2024 for the next stage? Is this already the revolution it's expected to be? Well, the very ancient U.S. Senate held a series of educational hearings, and the EU agreed on a fairly protectionist set of AI rules. How much those will balance out with regard to protecting people's data versus just stifling innovation, especially from the laggard EU, is really totally up in the air and a complicated question. And how much other invasive ideas like face scanning for age-restricted websites will succeed is up there too. And good news, truly, there's already so much innovation in the air from this stuff. Magically advanced materials and biological research that will benefit so many people to live translation. There are also serious question marks about how generative AI will change education. I wrote this year, let's be clear. If you're a student and you've got to write a paper on deadline, and your school system hasn't banned it yet, you're absolutely going to give something like GPT a shot. The whole process, minus some very important fact-checking, takes 30 seconds. Whether you've got the chutzpah to actually turn it in and potentially face the consequences is another question entirely. Whether you consider what you lose by doing so, even if you don't get caught, requires deeper questions I certainly wasn't asking at 16 or 20s or 30s. We learn, and I still learn every day, so much in the act of writing. And to be clear, it's usually a horror show. As our thoughts spill out onto the page, we marvel or are ashamed by how they come to be and how poorly we express them. And then we get to interrogate them on the page against research and defend them, if that's the assignment. It's often, it's usually brutal and embarrassing, but wildly fruitful. And that is how we learn. That's what we lose by skipping to the end. So the biggest fundamental question here, which is probably an endless series of questions depending on application, is how AI will fit into our economy and society as a co-pilot or autopilot. Let's talk about health and medicine and food and water. Abortion laws are going about as badly as promised, and the new Speaker of the House, a religious fanatic who claims God wakes him up at night to chit-chat about his role as the next Moses, once called abortion a holocaust. So I think federally that's going to stay what it is for now. Remember to vote. Long COVID remains a criminally underappreciated factor in 2023's society, but clinical trials and data are growing. That said, so is vaccine hesitancy, which will lead to more long COVID and a stupid, stupid rise in diseases we quashed years ago. The West still faces a daunting, parched, dry future, but 2022's historically wet winter put off many of the hardest decisions. We love to kick the can down the road here, folks. We've already talked about the lead pipes thing. Uh, check back to see how you can help push that along. Uh, what else? The FDA is still a thing which angers me. Obviously, it's more complicated than that, but the ongoing baby formula fiasco is example number 3,498 of why it should be broken up into two institutions that work. Hunger is growing as the legacy of the child tax credit and other COVID relief programs haunts us, clearly showing where we could improve hunger and poverty when we choose to. We did it, and then we stopped doing it. But in the same breath, Ogovi and Azempic have put it mildly, already changed the world. More on that next year, of course. There's still boundless questions on questions and theories as to where they could take us and second-order effects of their 
regimens will, again, be something we just experienced live here. Which will be a shifty ride. We are still short so many nurses, and Medicaid disenrollment continues, to the tune of almost 13 million newly without coverage, many of whom were kicked off for procedural reasons after COVID, something we're just really, really good at. But there is good news. Again, we continue to fight the long defeat. The more abortion was on the ballot, the more the good guys won, from Ohio to Virginia. The first CRISPR sickle cell treatments were approved. That's fucking nuts. MNRA research continues to expand building on the COVID shots. The FDA is well aware how dysfunctional they have become, sketching out plans to reorganize and prioritize food for the first time in a long time. Funnily enough, Wagovia and Azempic are primary examples of where a new, separate, and more nimble food and drug administrations can help guide a healthier future where food can be medicine instead of a detriment. It is a fascinating, healthier time to be alive, but trust in these Faulty but necessary institutions, versions of them, should be a sign that revamping them for the years to come is an essential step for any administration, Congress, voting public, what have you. Let's talk a little bit about kids. Um, OECD test scores have been dropping all over the developed world since 2010, which honestly probably is because of phones. Not just social media, mind you, but the phones themselves. These glass screens, portals to all the ways they destroy our ability to concentrate for any given length of time. I mean, yeah, social media, though, where health misinformation is rampant, but where kids have us also been just inundated with chatbots, where they all share their location with each other all of the time. I mentioned it above, but it's still too way, it's still way too early to assess the societal impacts of AI. For example, all the worry about whether kids would use GPT to cheat may be for naught because contextually they were already cheating, at least in this version. Whether or not learning with or without AI is a zero-sum game that is up for grabs. Again, we learn, and I still learn every single day, so much in the act of writing, like a classroom flexibly situated for children with ADHD, or very little English, both with physical disabilities, it's time to commit to hard, wide-ranging thinking about onboarding GPT-3 and 4 and 5 and whatever comes with them, whatever tools are built on them, whatever white-collar professions they enhance or make obsolete. We are just a pipeline of soft meat casings, trying to harness whatever tools are available to us from cradle to grave. And a new generation is coming online right now that will never know a world without this first and probably rudimentary version of generative and assistive AI. It's happening. We have to embrace it. We have to think about it for now and the future. This new online era is beginning just as another ends, I think. So is it so much to ask that Apple's new mental health tools actually help a drastically larger, younger, and broader set of people than any clinical trial ever has before? Is their headset just going to make people more isolated, right when we're most isolated? people are going to be glued to their phones, we might as well get something useful out of it, and that should be what underpins how we think about it. Look, other unexpected crazy shit has happened this year. Scientists in Japan created two new mice from two biologically male parents. Um, other scientists finally got some rock samples out of the Earth's mantle. We've never done that. A guy who's paralyzed walked again using a brain implant. There's a non-prescription birth control pill. <laughs> For now. 
having found microplastics everywhere from mountaintops to placentas, scientists found them in the clouds, too. TSMC and ASML in the Netherlands became even more vital, as did NVIDIA, the machine behind the generative AI platform, and ChatGPT's 100 million weekly active users. I am overall interested in how new technology like AI and biotech can help us solve old problems, as one of my guests said, but extra fascinated about the new problems they may help us discover. I've written quite a bit about what we want versus what we need, and how those primal questions have been hijacked by ourselves, each other, and our tools for eons. The known knowns and known unknowns are one thing. The unknown unknowns are another. So many things never change. So many things about us never change. That's what matters when we're confronting the unknowns. It's one thing to adapt to a sea that is rising slowly, but surely over decades, centuries. It's another to watch how we adapt to a novel coronavirus, for which we have no natural immunity, or AI tools that have literally just unlocked vast educational and productivity improvements, but which could quickly overturn our understanding of education and productivity, of employment, of inequality, of biological research and materials, and a million other building blocks of society that we can't possibly foresee. Coming back to it, what doesn't change about us? What can we do? There's a gulf between the risks we know about and simply refuse to calculate, much less do anything about, and the ones we simply can't plan for. Consider cardiovascular diseases, our old friends, from our world and data. Together, cardiovascular diseases are the most common cause of death globally. Full stop. In 2000, about 14 million people died from cardiovascular diseases globally, while in 2019, close to 18 million died. The rising death toll is largely due to a growing and aging population. Death rates from cardiovascular diseases have actually fallen in many countries, as our ability to prevent and treat them has improved. Let's talk about how we got there. Large declines in smoking, improvements in screening, diagnosis and monitoring, and advances in medical treatments, public health initiatives, emergency care and surgical procedures, all down the line, they've all helped to reduce the impact of cardiovascular diseases on people's lives. I would argue, as usual, that the way we prepare for the unknown unknowns is to constantly reinforce the baseline, to control what we can control, to know ourselves and control what we can control, to relentlessly identify the weakest links in our systems and upgrade them. And I don't just mean the obvious fundamental shit like air, water, food, and shelter. I mean reinforcing and expanding our commitments to privacy, to rewilding ecosystems, to civil rights, to encryption and indigenous peoples, to interrogating and rooting out our biases, to journalism and education, elections, and voting rights. It's safe to say we understand very little now, but it's vital we understand this, that we often remain the same while progress is again accelerating. A storm of irrevocable change is here. But we've left many of our most fundamental requirements exposed to ourselves and to the elements. Now again, I know this quote really perfectly describes your first days at home with a newborn, and it really describes why, in a tumultuous 2023, the youths have basically turned against basically everyone in power. The story hasn't changed that much. We've come so far and have so far to go, if we'll let it. But doing the unsexy work of pulling forward the millions and billions who've been disadvantaged all this time 
and I'm including all children in that group, will only enable us to go even farther in the years to come. That part will never change. That's it. You can go deeper at importantnotimportant.com. Please hit subscribe to get next week's essay and my conversations with guests, which are restarting soon. And give us five stars review wherever you listen. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you.